Ah, mmm. The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to Caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at Caskers.com. Welcome back to the bar for a seventh time. Uh, we've now been in business for 42 days, which is exactly four days longer than Gavin Henson was a Saracens player and just two days shy of Brian Clough's entire Leeds United reign. We are on a roll. Ellis, how are you? You okay? Very good. How are you? Decent. Yeah, not bad at all today. How are you, Mike? Could fucking Don Revy do that? <laughs> what? Um... Throw them all in the <laughs> Throw them all by cheating! <laughs> I'm all right, mate. I'm very well. I've had a good week, actually. So, yes, it's been quite nice. I watched the Don Revy interview with Brian Clough on YouTube oh, the other day. Because it's going to be one of my choices. So good, isn't it? It is fantastic. Are we now, doing, are we now talking about clips that we're going to be talking about? This is what this has got so meta. I should I should <laughs> leave it. But um, I think what I'll probably do is I'll read the Brian, the Brian Clough biography first before I do that clip. Because there are so many fantastic Brian Clough stories... <laughs> I don't oh, yeah. want to do him a disservice, but it is we, absolutely brilliant. We should do this like like Ancient Aliens, uh, the TV series. Yeah. Where we'll spend the first part of the show talking about previous shows. Good. And yeah. then we'll talk about what we're going to talk about in the rest of the show. And then when we get to the rest of the show, we'll we'll talk about next week's show. Well, talk, talking about previous shows, the amount of tweets we got about Kimbo Slice... <laughs> Including a tweet that made me laugh so much from Rob, I think. Right. Where he said, imagine if Kimball Slice, his family, the Slices, the slices moved yes. next slices. door. Yes. Yeah. Imagine how horrendous it would be. It's, it's Kimbo there, Mrs. Slice. He's out in the back garden, love. Over by the trampoline. That would be the, be the best reality show of all time. At home with the Slices. When we moved in to our house. We brought a bottle of wine for the next door neighbours and introduced ourselves. Can you imagine you, you, you take a bottle of white over? Kimbo answers his door. You know, he's quite an imposing guy. What do you what what do you do then, uh, Mister Slice? Oh, I'm uh, I'm I'm an unlicensed boxer and I have unregulated fights in the back garden. You'll be able to see them from the back bedroom. Oh, what? Where my uh, where my five year old son sleeps? Yeah, you'll love it. No one else for ten ten plus years. Yeah, he's one of the world's most supreme uh, uh, impressionists. Yes, uh, he can do but. Just, just about every accent. Yeah. Just about every accent in the world. He, he does and uh, does it with a plomb. But why suddenly Kimbo Slice appears to be from Clenetli. Just, just outside Clenetli. I don't I don't know. He's <laughs> <laughs> funny to my Oh and and unlicensed and regulated boxer I am, yeah, yeah. <laughs> what it is, Kimbo, right? We are in the back garden, right? So uh... What it is, right? <laughs> 
Yeah. <laughs> right. No, no, no. If you if you put the message out to my social media, I will back the uh. my back garden. Serious now. All right, Kimbo, it's David. Is what it is, Kimbo. Right? Is uh, cut to the chase, mate. Will you? My 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 father-in-law, who I've now he's not he's, he's been my father-in-law for fourteen years, right? Right. Whenever he phones, he goes, "All right, Mike, it's Jeff. It is." <laughs> I believed you the first time. I go, what? <laughs> All right, Mike, it's Jeff. It is. What it is, Mike? Is, is Kelly there? <laughs> say, Jeff, just say, "Can I speak to Kelly, please?" I got, I got a proposition for you, Mike. There's a boy I know called Kimbo Slice. Hard, hard nut, is serious hard nut. But he absolutely loves to fight. I <laughs> <laughs> went over the Clays Club now next like last Thursday, right? He loves a ruck. He's... A ruck. <laughs> <laughs> he honestly got now. He crossed the road for a fight. He loves it. Ah, uh, right. <laughs> if you want, have you got a camera? <laughs> Because he loves fighting, but he's not very technically proficient. That is his problem, you see. What it he is, mate, right? to do the filming for him. <laughs> what it is, he loves a lager, but he's not up on the old tech side of things. You know what I mean? Yeah, anger issues. <laughs> severe anger issues, aye. <laughs> I, why doesn't he like the nappy wins the majority of the fights he's in? <laughs> oh. I cannot understand it. Oh, when he gets going, mate. <laughs> going? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that went niche. Oh, uh, right. Uh, right. So, yeah, I'm fine. Thanks, Steph. At Distant Pod, if you want oh, to have a fight God. with Alice or Mike. No, God, no. <laughs> I mean, we, 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 need, we, we need to, to, to sort of settle on a weight category if, uh, if I'm yeah, fighting yeah. all comers. Under seven stone, please. Under sevens. <laughs> yeah, under sevens. More realistic. <laughs> That's <laughs> even low. <laughs> what a way to get a bit of notoriety for this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I'll fight him in a pub car park. He's too young to go in. <laughs> Stick him in the beer garden with Alice, he'd be yeah. fine. <laughs> was I reading the other day about some fella talking about... Um, where was I reading this? I think he was reminiscing about the good old days. I think it was, I think it was someone talking about our podcast on Twitter, maybe. Right. That he remembers um, his own man to get him, like, half a Coke, take him back out of the car, lock the car, yes. leave him there for, like, three hours. Yeah, yeah. Yeah? yeah. Great day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> These days, some busybody would be phoning the police, wouldn't they? <laughs> as, as, as I found out. <laughs> <laughs> And by busybody, I mean my wife. <laughs> right, clip one oh. for this week. Uh, the honour falls to you, Alice, for clip number one. As I get older, I've realised that I really love the idiosyncrasies and the little things that set sports apart. So not not the, the actual laws of the of, of of the game or the sport itself, but the little you know traditions and things. I love the fact that in cricket. Um, the ashes they're actually they're actually playing f- for an urn mm. like that that the the prize it's not a trophy it's an urn and when the you know winning captain holds up the urn because it's so small it actually looks a bit silly i love the fact that at wimbledon the players have to share a changing room i just find that incredible uh, for example, in the boxing, um, Michael Buffer, the ring announcer, heavyweight champion of the world. You know, you don't get that in any other sport. And I think the hacker is a great example of this. The first time I remember taking notice of it 
was um, uh, New Zealand toured Britain and Ireland in 1989 and Dad took me to watch Cardiff play New Zealand at the National Stadium. And in the car on the way up, he's like, oh, they do this thing. It's like, oh, it's like a dance, a scary dance. Oh, you love it. And I, I hadn't seen anything like it. And Willie Anderson, the island captain, remember him? Yeah. He actually, he actually faced the hacker down, so he led the, the Irish team up to them. Um, and they were sort of no, he was nose to nose with the captain, would have been you know Wayne Shelford, I, I, I presume. But I've always loved it, and as time has progressed, it's got more and more, you know, elaborate. Mm. Um, and I assumed that it all that it had always been this, and that I that I saw this clip from the New Zealand Barbarians game in 1973, and well, you can judge for yourselves. I'll sum it up in a nutshell. This shit. <laughs> so rubbish. And half-hearted. And half of them look like they've never seen it before. And they don't look like what they don't look like they know what they're doing. And they're all a bit embarrassed by it. And I just had no idea that it had come from bearing in mind what it is these days, that it had come from those sorts of origins. It, it is so lame. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And like you say, unchoreographed. It's like yeah, yeah, yeah. at least yeah, at least four of them have never done it before by the looks of it. Absolutely. And I you know, the game would have kicked off at two PM and it looks like at one fifty seven the winger went Shit the hacker <laughs> The captain's like Yes Yes Yeah right yes get right. all the boys well, in Get I them mean, all in I, I am I am gonna be treading on extremely thin ice here because I've had I've had conversations about the hacker online before. I've got no problem with the hacker. Right. What I've got a problem with is the hacker being reported on as part of a sport, right? Or when you see the back page, we'll do, like, a paragraph about the new hacker. Or they're going to do... Which hacker are they going to do against yeah. Samoa? Or how are, how are England going to deal with but the who's hacker? Gonna, yeah, how are we going to respond to the hacker? Fuck off, right? It's a game <laughs> of rugby. It is a game of rugby, right? Yeah. Do the hacker or don't do the hacker. I, I, I don't care either way, right? If there was, like, a hacker competition, I'd probably go and see it. It'd be good fun, right? Yeah. Great. I well, like the, like I the slam dunk competition they have, like in the NBA All Star Week. It'd be fine. Let's go and watch like a South Sea Islanders hacker competition. I'd be all over that like a rash, right? But I'm not taking the piss of the hacker. I'm just saying I don't think it's that is the they're brilliant to rugby. Let's talk about the rugby. You know, if you want to do the hacker, do the hacker. Don't do the hacker. You know, I, I, we don't spend like half an hour talking about who's going to sing the anthem, or you know, are they going to do two part harmony? Are we, we going to sing it? Are we going to have someone doing the desk cant? Are we, are we going to have a tenor or a soprano doing? I don't give a fuck. It's just it, no. It's, it's the anthem, right? And they, and they got it's got to be on last. You know, this is the thing when they played They've against got a Wales, headline. And, and they said, "Listen, well, you do the hacker first, yes. and do the anthems. We want we want to we wanna play. No, it's got to be last. It's, it's, a, it's a challenge." And fair play to the WRU, and they got lambasted for this. They said, "Well, no, we're kicking off anthems and then kick off. It's our home game. Why should you get? Why should you get the advantage?" And they got and they did the hackage. Remember about yeah, ten yeah, years ago, yeah. they did yeah, the hackage yeah. in the changing rooms downstairs. I was in the changing room, right? Oh, superb! So I was doing that- uh, the pitch side interviews during that game and got on reasonably well with some of the New Zealand coaching staff because they had been previously the Wales coaching staff. And yeah. they said they're not letting us do it. They're not letting us do the hacker. So a room, you know, the size of your living room, pretty much, because it was yeah. a smaller. It was the bit where they actually warm up rather than the main mm. bit of the changing rooms. And so the Welsh team were in there. It was no, just the New Zealand, just the New Zealand because they weren't allowed yet. to do it last, so they didn't want to do yeah, it at all. Yeah, that's the key, then. isn't it? It wasn't they weren't allowed to do it. Yeah, they weren't allowed to do it 
and an away game under their terms when they wanted to do it, right? Yeah. If you want to do that, if you want to do that in a, in a at home. You can do what you like with a hacker. Do fifteen hackers. It's your home game, right? When you're in an away game, and the, and the the home team says, "Yeah, you can do it," but but we want to do our anthem last, and we, that, that gets us going. We want to play a game of rugby. No, we can't do that. If it's when the IRB or the World Rugby as it is now stick their nose in and tell you the way you've got to respond to it. Yeah. That's what, that's why I have a big problem with is the the overreporting of it and how we've got to respond to it. So. You can't turn your back on it. Why not? I don't want to watch that, right? You, you, you can't whistle. You can't go and do this. You can't go and do that. You've got to be 20 metres back. Like when Keith Wood, like talking about the, the Irish father there, when yeah. Keith Wood did the same thing and they went up nose to nose. Yeah. And the Maori boys loved that and the New Zealand boys loved that. Because if, if you're going to be a challenge, let's have a fucking challenge. Come on, let's get Paul Sykes in there. <laughs> let's get Kim Paul Sykes With his trainers around his neck, right? Dun, 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 right? Whatever. But... <laughs> The New Zealand rugby team do it, and their basketball team, the Tall Blacks. The Tall Blacks, of course they are. <laughs> they do it as well. The Tall Blacks. That's good, isn't it? I was really pleased when I saw that. As we, we'll hemorrhage listeners after this, right, from, from, from the Antipodes. Why right? have you picked up a hammer? <laughs> You've got a hammer in your They're not going to get you. Sorry. This is, is a gavel, you? actually. Order, order. Wow. Oh, I can't remember what I was going to say now. I was so insensible. Hemorrhaging listeners because of your uh, cultural Oceania. Yeah. Well, we've got I'm one not... listener in Australia. He's probably oh, loving boy. it. He's loving this. He's loving it. <laughs> not, hey, not next week. We'll have loads of them. Just. Uh, <laughs> you, know, you, you can't. I, I, what I was going to say was. Um, and this, is, this, this won't go down well at all, right? Here's this podcast. It's just Welsh guys I, taking the piss out of the heck out. I think Super. New Zealand fans, if we're talking about sports, I think New Zealand rugby fans are the worst rugby fans in the world. Oh, well done. Right. Why is, well, why and is that? And there it is. I, I put it out there. And they, they've beaten England. They've, they've got the gold medal because they got a fabulous rugby team and they always have had, right? And and they expect to win games and, they, and on, the, on, the, on the whole they do win games, right? With, with alarming regularity. When they lose, god damn, they are some bad losers, the New Zealanders, right? <laughs> so, yeah, I, I enjoy the hacker. Is the, is the bottom, Great. The, the bottom line, I like the hacker. Well, <laughs> what I always wanted to do with this uh, show, and I think we've now done it in episode seven, is coalesce our audience just into one core group of South Walesians who like rugby and football. <laughs> <laughs> so we've, 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 we've weeded out the English, weeded, weeded out the New Zealanders... Americans next. We got one guy in Brazil. And don't, yeah, get on, don't get me on Capoeira. <laughs> He's gone. Unsubscribe. That's how I hate corned beef. <laughs> right, Mike, uh, your choice for round one. Right, this is my three choices this week, without doing too much of a spoiler alert, are uh, underdog stories, really. So this is Simone Biles, the American gymnast. Talk a little bit about her background after the clip. But um, I love gymnastics. I've always loved gym. I, I, I did it, like I said, I've mentioned before, when I did sport in uni, um, I did as much gym as I could. There, our gym lecturer was a bloke called Mitch Fenner, who did all the BBC, a lot of the BBC um, gymnastics commentary. Passed away a couple of years ago, a great bloke. Uh, so he just enthused us with his real love of gymnastics. I, I was a big fan of it in school as well. Um, but it's so... 
I briefly talked about this to my wife when I showed the clip earlier. You can watch the best free kick ever, like, you know, in, in football, or you can watch the most amazing uh, place kick in, in, in rugby, for instance, or the, or the best golf shot. And that is making contact with, you know, it, it's a foot making contact with a ball or a club making contact with a ball. You could repeat that, right? It might take you 100 goes. You might have to work on your strength, but you could repeat that skill, right? Obviously, the skill is doing it under pressure, doing it at a time, making the right decision, right? When you watch a top-level gymnast, there's just no way that that you could repeat that skill. Not, I, 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 can't, I can't describe it. She, Simone well, so you're telling me that she'd never done it before? <laughs> no, I mean, she'd be, the point I'm trying to make is I, I understand that a top level of anything in, in, it requires incredible dedication and thousands and thousands and thousands of hours. Oh, practice, so you're right? saying that if I got lucky, I could take a brilliant free kick? But I would you never could, be able to do. You, yeah, you could. Right. You could hit a top corner a banana shot, right? It could happen. Once like in a hundred goals, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you could do it, right? But you could never do a triple back somersault off the floor, right? With with a two twist or whatever. I mean, what they do with their body is utterly incredible. She's. I think she's got the third highest medal haul of any gymnast ever, Simone Biles. Um, talk a little bit about her backstory in a second, but just. Watch this for what a four foot eight person can do with their body on a piece of sprung flooring. I mean, that is Jimmy, you watch it and you can't, you, I, can't I can't wrap my head around it. The, the other thing is, I think when I was a teenager, I had a pathetic, unreconstructed, very West Walian attitude to gymnastics. Right. They are the most well-built human beings. They're crazy. Incre- incredible strength. And and well, it's... Um, I, I think we used to laugh at the... the, the especially the boys who were good at gymnastics yeah. when I was at school. Yet for my son wanted to do gymnastics... Go for it, because by the age of 13, he'd be ripped like Wolverine. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Incredible yeah. physical specimen. It's like, ba- it's like ballet dancers. Have you ever met a male ballet dancer? No. <laughs> they, they, yeah. look like, they look like robots. Yeah. They're so well built. Brooke Herschel um, Walker, who played for the... I'll get, I'll get back to Simone in a second. But Brooke Herschel Walker, who played uh, in the NFL in the 80s, um, I think he played for Philadelphia and then Dallas, um, in his off-season would train with the Dallas Ballet. Just to, just for that explosive strength and that yeah. power and that you know incredible flexibility, incredible yeah. Look at the legs on a on a, you know, on a male or female ballet dancer. But with Simone, I mean, she was. If you look at a little bit about her story, so she was one of four siblings. Mother couldn't couldn't handle it. Put them all into foster care. They were there for a couple of years. Eventually, the granddad finds out they're in foster care, adopts her and the the other younger sibling. The two older ones get adopted by an aunt. She loves. Gymnastics. He basically homeschools her throughout secondary school. Right. She so can spend more time doing uh, doing gymnastics. She, she graduates high school despite not actually going to high school, um, and then goes to university. Uh, is a, is an absolute star at university. Goes through some horrendous times in university. There was there was a massive sexual assault case with her and a, and a load of gymna- American gymnasts with one particular coach. Came through all that, and to do what she does. 
I mean, I, like I said, I love gym anyway, but I, I just love to see... I love to see her doing gymnastics. But, I mean, but the flip side of it is, when you watch the men's and women's gymnastics, I, 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 I love watching both. What I don't understand with the women's gymnastics, it is quite sexist in the way that it's still done, I think, where, where they have to have the music for the floor work, they have to do all the sort of the little linking moves and, and, the, and the hand gestures and the bits and bobs. Well, what you want to see is them getting to the corner yeah. and doing the and doing the tumbling, right? Yeah. I do want to see someone doing a break dance or someone doing a body pop. I just want to see them doing the tumbling stuff and doing the actual gymnastics mm. bit. I watched um, I, when I watched this clip. You know, it's jaw dropping stuff. And then I watched Nadia Comaneci, the first perfect ten from yeah. the nineteen seventy six Montreal Olympics. Yes. <laughs> gymnastics is it has developed in such an incredible. I got an eight in those Olympics. I think. <laughs> You know, I can't. I think it's. I was trying to find. I was trying to find a clip someone could find it and, and send it to us that compared the two. There was a couple, but they weren't very good. Okay, but but when you see, like you said there now, it's it's a different. It's a well, different the thing sport, the right? thing with Simone, the backflips and stuff she does, I, I mean, obviously it's humanly possible because I'm watching it, but you think. How on earth can anyone generate that power? In that space as well. It's tw- in, it's tw- it is extraordinary. Yeah. And I, I watched a, a great documentary about Nadia Comaneci and the perfect 10 in those days was considered impossible. The way, they, they, the, way the IOC mm. scored gymnastics, it was considered impossible in the way that prior to Spurs winning the double in 1961, that was considered impossible in modern football and then obviously yeah. Tot- Tottenham did it. And... You know, it, it, it's it's like the Roger Bannister four-minute mile. It's this amazing, astonishing achievement that has now since been bettered mm. by plenty of people who've come later. Mm. And yeah, I, you know, I, I don't really follow gymnastics, but when I, when I watched the clip when Mike sent it round, it, it's breathtaking. It's absolutely It's amazing because you sent it over lunchtime today and yeah. I was making the kids lunch and I just stuck it on. And the kids were like, what, what are you putting that on for? What, what are you watching? And then within about a second, all three of them were just they're transfixed on it. She's going, whoa, she's yeah. amazing. I, I'm always amazed. It comes around, they might show a bit in the World Champs, they might show a bit in the Commonwealth Games. It's quite a big thing in, in, the, in the Olympics. And obviously when the Olympics are on, they show a lot of sports. Mm-hmm. It's, on, you know, it's on TV all day, every day, right? Yeah. And then, but there are certain sports, I think, I can't believe that's not, more popular than it is, right? Because I don't watch clay, clay pigeon shooting and think, Christ, I wish I was on twice a week. Right? <laughs> that has never Did he happened, get it? Right? Yes, he did. <laughs> Mate, you want to go yeah. and watch it live? Yeah. I, I, I watched that at the 2012 Olympics, part of my it absolute pleasure to report on the Olympic Games. Mm. No, nothing better. Being at the 100 yeah. metres final is something that you're never going to replicate in life. Yeah. Being at the shooting, I'm all right. Yeah, I don't care. I'm all right. But gym, I mean, I'd, I've been to gym competition, not not at that level, obviously. But I'm not not competing. I should I should emphasise what I'm watching. Um, it's a great. Con- it's a, I mean that mat. This what it, it's so contained for one thing. There's always something going on. It's so contained. You watch that floor work. When you watch someone like any of the top gymnasts, when you watch someone doing that routine, if you watch the clip, right? You've got to bear in mind that mat is twelve meters by twelve meters. So, you know, I'm not going to bore you with Pythagoras' theorem but, um, and the hypotenuse, but she, she hasn't got a lot more than 12 metres to do that work in. So it's about three times the length Pythagoras of the Pythagoras' theorem. Oh. You know, 
I like to drop a bit of Pythagoras in, into a sports The pocket. sub of the square of the other um, two sides. No, no, it, uh, it's a bit uh, bigger. Uh, all right, Shakespeare. All know, as, we, <laughs> as we all know, lads, as, as we all know, generally, you know, the square on my pot news is equal to the sum of the square yeah. of the other two sides, right? Yeah. Or um, it's a little bit bigger than 12. Yeah, yeah, so if you want to send in what it actually is, that'd be fine. Yeah. To, to, for the layman, she's got a big dining room to work with. <laughs> she's got three dining rooms, essentially. She's got three or, dining rooms. Or one small stateroom, right? Yeah. But in that, in that space, she's done, like, a backflip, a back somersault, and then a triple back somersault. Yes. And a bit of yeah. body popping. It's incredible. Yeah. And I, but what, what, you watch it, it's so... You watch the rings, they're brilliant. You watch the, the, the beam, it's brilliant. You watch the floor, it gets spanned. I do like I a pommel horse. Yeah, yeah. The wonderful. uneven bars as yeah. well. The rings are amazing. And they just think, why isn't gymnastics on TV every week? It's yeah. so good. And people, like you said with your daughters there, all your kids yeah. watching the TV. They, love they might never have seen gym before. You're watching and you go, bloody hell. You know? And people sit down and watch, what's it called? Like Ninja Warrior. Yes. Which again was what we did after that. Which, yeah. which I, I watched it last night. It's, yeah. it's, like, a, it's like a pound shop gymnastics. <laughs> and, the, and the men, who all look like Superman, don't do well, very much weights because it's just bodywork stuff. They don't have to. So they don't I'll have say, to. I'll say this, man, they're wankers, because when we used to have... Uh, <laughs> when they've got a, like a jug up in, uh, in college, they'd always right. have their top off, in, in, in a heartbeat, in a heartbeat. Right. Well, would, all, all the... Well, yeah, yeah, why wouldn't you? They're, why they're wouldn't all you? Saw that photo of you on Twitter the other day, mate. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> and, I, and I was in a bar, so. So there we go. <laughs> we had we had a fellow in college with us called uh, Carl Bainan, who's a lovely bloke. Um, I think he was in the '84 games for for Great Britain as a gymnast. Only short bloke, Carl, about five. I suppose about five four. He's a mate, so I, I, I'll, I'll, I'll overestimate. I'll say five six. Um, <laughs> But ripped to shreds, right? But one of his signature moves he would do was go into what they call a front support, which is basically a, it's a it's a presser position, right? Go into front support and then take his feet off the floor. So yeah. <laughs> but it would look like some off pen and teller. He was just like floating. <laughs> How are your feet there? Right? And then they just push him into a, into a handstand. It was incredible to watch. Yeah. When you watch a really good gymnast, you can't believe a body can do what their body's doing. Whenever I do podcasts with you, I cannot believe how outdated some of your references are. <laughs> Penicella. Penicella, been on, man. I've been on since John Major was Prime Minister. Penicella. <laughs> 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 All right, then Paul Daniels. Where's the new <laughs> Where, whoever the new ones are. <laughs> Oh, God. What I liked about Penn and Teller was that they explained how they did it. That was, I just loved that. I loved knowing. It's the fact that I don't know how magic works is why I don't like it. You saw my wife, right? Kelly, this is, every time you see a magic trick on TV, right? How's he done that? This This is Kelly and I watching a magic trick on TV. I don't understand how he did that. Well, well, no, babe, that's the trick. It's magic. No, I know, I know that. I, but but how did you do it though? I, I don't. I know it's not actually magic, but I don't understand how he did it. Right? No. But if you understood how he did it, it would be a shit magic trick, Kel. <laughs> yeah. No. I, I'm not saying. I, I know there's no such thing as actual magic, but how does he do it? I don't know. But it doesn't make any. How how do you reckon he did it? I don't know, Kel. I don't fucking. If, if we all knew, you wouldn't be watching it, would you? Do you know what I mean? I don't watch my kid taking milk out of the fridge and then go, "How'd you do that?" I just watch it take it out. Oh yeah, that's right. 
Have you ever seen a kid but do a magic trick and get it wrong? She's great with the kids. Brilliant. It is nothing so, better. So rubbish, though, and you realise why magic is good because you're like, oh right, yeah. okay, yeah, it's I can see it. The cards in your pocket, yeah, fine. <laughs> I get it. Yeah, I get yeah. it. Well, if, if I get it was the response yeah. to everything that Dynamo does on telly. Yeah, I get, I get it. it yeah. I get it, mate. I get Just it. Just go, oh, yeah, I can see you did that. Thanks, mate. Yeah, yeah, that's fine. Thank you. My friend my friend Dan, who, who lives on our street, he did a lot of magic as a teenager and was in the magic circle. That made it sound like it was a drug. <laughs> <laughs> did a lot of magic as a teenager. But he was round our house. It was the 90s, wasn't it? But we, had, we all we had, did a lot of magic. We had Britain's Got Talent on, and there was a magician who I thought was brilliant. And Dan just instantly explained what was going on. And it was way better than the magic itself. Because the not knowing I find immensely frustrating. But also, well, it's because they're lazy. They're fucking lazy people, magicians. That's the problem, right? They, they've got this sort of six or seven tricks. Right. Right? If you had to explain the trick after, you, after you've done it, yeah. right? Then you've got to do a new trick next time. You know? It's like burning material as a, as a stand-up comic, you know? Yes, that's true. Yeah, you know, listen, to... listen what I did there was there was a, some counterweights in the back of the truck. Uh, there was a girl over there dressed in black. You know, couldn't see her. She yeah. ducked behind. What are you doing next week? I'll be doing the same trick again, actually, because <laughs> yeah. that, that's same my trick. trick. <laughs> yeah, blow your socks off. <laughs> what, with the weights and the girl in the black? That's the one, yeah. Shit. <laughs> Do you like being amazed once? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my god! I love that. What a show! I watch that every week. If he, did the, if he did the same magic show every every week, I'd watch that. Great. What do you think about the law of diminishing returns? <laughs> oh man! Dare you step inside the mine? <laughs> My first clip for this week is from Michael Owen's Soccer Skills TV show. Oh, this is so good. <laughs> so it's Michael Owen showing off his soccer skills, showing off his human side. That was the aim of the TV show. Um, and I think he shows off his human side a little bit too much. Oh! On, Jeremy. Footwork and everything, mate. Well done. Let's get in line with the ball. That was inches. <sighs> you lucky, man. Stand up, Jamie, stand up. Hold well on, mate. See how you've landed? Come here. When you're coming into the dive, it should be there. Boom. What are you doing at the moment? Because you're right-handed. You're just trying to do it right. Your whole body's turned it's ended up turning like that. You're facing the wrong way. Always trying to leave with your left. If you can, yeah? Get in there! Well done, he's 13. Uh, so, Game Neville Southall is the other voice you can hear there, the former Wales goalkeeper, and he is kind of instructing a 13-year-old goalkeeper on how to stop one of the, probably the world's best striker at, at the, the time, time yeah. from scoring I goals. I cannot believe, I didn't know that, Steph. I didn't know that was Michael Owens' show. I assume that was Neville Southall's show. No, it's, it's Michael Owens' TV show. And the idea of the TV oh. show is to get the... So, so he's one of the biggest stars in world football. I think he, he was... He comes across as such a bell end in this. <laughs> exactly. He's a it was around the time you won European Footballer of the Year. Exactly. Michael so he Owen. wins the Ballon d'Or and he is oh. thought oh of God. as the greatest footballer of his generation. He certainly yeah. thinks he was the greatest footballer of his generation. Do you know what? Have Carrigan's you listened... Uh, yes, I listened to that podcast. Yeah. And, I mean, we'll discuss this in a second. But um, 
I, it's actually, having listened to that podcast and watched another long interview he did about his career, Yeah, I think I have reevaluated Michael Owen. Okay. Beca- uh, mainly because he probably... Well, I mean, on the Carragher podcast, he will say, from the age of... Seven to eighteen, I was the best footballer on the planet. Yeah, there was no one could touch me. But because he 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 snapped his hamstring against Leeds when he was about nineteen, yeah, it would 19? be yeah. And he was never the same again. And the injury itself was very badly managed. Yeah. So he he lost. You know, people say, "Oh, you lose lose a yard of pace." It was way way more than that. And he was completely reliant on that explosive pace. And also, it's kind of the Owen gene, and that his father had been a professional footballer. And he'd done his hamstrings, and his brothers played amateur football to quite a high level, and they'd done their hamstrings in the same way. Yeah. And he was never the same, and he was saying that what was so difficult was everyone expected him to be the player who'd scored that goal against Argentina. Yeah. And from the age of 20, he, he couldn't be that player. So it's actually... It, it, I, I sort of... I, I started to feel quite sympathetic towards him. He because, still does rub the nose in like oh, a, an absolute... But yeah, but the way he acts with that 13-year-old is completely out of order. I, but uh, what Nev does is Because can so you imagine funny. how chuffed that kid would have been? You know, like I said, he's European Football of the Year. Darren, uh, you're on... You're, 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 with Michael Owen next week, we've had a phone call. Oh, brilliant, man. You know, and now Southall's going to be there. Never self for the Wales goalie. Oh, this is like my dream come true. And he rocks up there, and Michael Owen's just an absolute twat to him. But you can see Nev getting more and more frustrated yes. as it's going on. So he's like, he scores one, and Michael Owen's off celebrating. He's like, right, what you need to do is lead with your left hand because you're leading across yeah, with your right, you're turning yes. your whole body round. So when Michael Owen was in that kind of form, there were barely any goalkeepers on the planet who exactly. could stop him. Yeah. <laughs> you know, exactly. I don't know who the best. It would have been Buffon. I don't know. I don't know. It probably was Buffon at the time. Was the best goalkeeper on in the world. He he was struggling against Michael Owen in that kind of form. The boy is thirty. He's in year eight. The phrase that Nev comes out with, "Well done, he's 13, has yeah. become so well default fun. in yeah. every five-a-side game I've ever played. Yeah. Whenever yeah. someone goes off and celebrates anything, that is well done. He's thirteen. Yeah, yeah. It, it's it, it's beautiful timing. It's wonderfully cutting. Um, I've got a lot of time for Neville anyway. Oh, oh my God. Like the transference of that guy from being an amazing, probably the world's best goalkeeper, along with the Portuguese guy, Bayer, sort of at the time. They, in the they mid-80s, were, yeah. Yeah, they were the two sort of best in the world at the time. Then to being a Twitter hero yeah, for a generation. Yeah, a trans rights activist. Yeah. yeah. It's amazing, isn't it? The thing with Neville Southall is he did a tweet... A few years ago now, the first tweet when he said, listen, I'm I'm coaching kids and I'm working with vulnerable kids. He works yeah. with vulnerable kids in um, Ebu Vale. He was like, and I, and I just don't know what I'm talking about because I'm I'm an ex-footballer. So I, I, I've, I've, it's, I, it's trans issues and, and that kind of stuff. It's not something I understand because it's not really in my world. So please, educate me. And it's the first time in the history of the website that Twitter's been used as a force for good. Because, <laughs> because no, one, no one abused him and no one took the piss. No one said, well, you should know this, blah, blah, blah. Where have you been? You know. Yeah. And he just got an awful lot of very, very well-meaning, thought, well-thought-out responses. The other, the other thing with Michael Owen is his attitude to fiction is absolutely hilarious. So he doesn't... So he, he, he cannot suspend disbelief. He doesn't watch films, yeah? <laughs> no. 
He's only ever seen four films. Brilliant. So if you if you if you fill for a second, I'll, I'll, go, I'll Google it. Poor film. Stop, so he, on mom, stop on my mom will shoot. Obviously, <laughs> what a film. This is it. Michael o, Mike, Michael Owen uh, has what has only watched eight films ever. Eight films ever. When asked oh to divulge God. the movies in question, Owen replied that the only eight films he'd begrudgingly sat through in his life were Rocky, Heat. Ghost, Jurassic Park, Cool Runnings, You like Jurassic Park, Michael. Uh, put this one on. It's got John Candy in it. You'll love it. Karate Kid and Forrest Gump. <laughs> <laughs> and then, <laughs> who chose those? He's a massive Ralph Macchio fan. No, there's a superb tweet he did. <laughs> Watched my eighth ever film on the flight home. Must have been bored. Hashtag hate films. And then he followed followed that up with films I've been forced to watch. Rocky Heat, Ghost, Jurassic Park, Cool Running, Seabiscuit, Karate Kid, Forrest Gump. You've got to be a joyless prick to be... To be gutted that someone made you watch Cool Runnings. Oh, yes, you do, is, yes. That is also, if you Google Michael Owen films, that is the, the first one of the first um, articles that so comes funny. up. Michael but, but, Owen is a joyless weirdo who hates <laughs> films. But also, if you've watched Heat and you haven't then gone, oh, those two guys are pretty good, I should probably watch yeah, more of their stuff. I wonder, I wonder if they did any, anything else. What if they've done the any 70s? other films individually? Yeah. I haven't watched many films. I've seen all the Rockies, to be fair, so that's five. There's a sixth, is there? Didn't know that. Rocky Four's my favourite film. Didn't like Rocky One. Oh, well, hang on a minute. Fair play to him. I watched Creed the other day. It was all right. My wife kept badgering me, so I watched it on a flight to Dubai. I'd have preferred a good documentary, to be honest. I like factual stuff. I don't like to be kidded by anything. Oh, that's my problem with films. I just can't believe it. I sit there thinking, I wonder how many takes that took. And is that a stunt, man? The big action fights are so far-fetched, I shake my head in disbelief. People shooting each other, rolling over with bullets, just missing them, jumping off of trains. How can anyone believe that? Imagine him watching Penn and Teller. <laughs> this is it. This is it, right. So this was at the time when he'd just watched, when he'd only seen four films. So this is an article from a couple of years ago. Uh, they asked him to review them. Heat, not a fan. Ghost, preferred it to Heat. <laughs> I think it was quite emotional. Jurassic Park, quite good, actually. But he wasn't a fan of having to watch it twice in a few days because he'd gone for trials at both Arsenal and Man United where their downtime activities proved to be the same. He can't suspend disbelief, but he likes Jurassic Park. Cool Runnings, made to watch on a date with his future wife. As soon as she pressed play, I was in hell. (laughs) Oh, what an arsehole. Oh, God. Cool Runnings. It's about still, a bobsleigh team still in Jamaica. Feel the rhythm, feel the ride, <laughs> hold on tight. It's bobsled time. I'm loving that film. So documentary time. It is your pick this week, Ellis. What have we gone for? The documentary I've chosen this week, I am denied over its inclusion for quite a long time, because it's not, strictly speaking, a sports documentary. Um, It's the panorama from 1977 on Millwall's hooligans, um, then known as the F Troop. And it was the first hooligan documentary, um, certainly the first one I know of, and there have been lots made, you know, since. 
And I hemmed and hard over it, and I, I was trying to justify it, because A, it's not really sports, although it is related to football, and also you don't want to be seen to you know be condoning football hooliganism or, or glorifying it. Now, it was meant to be an hour-long documentary, but it was ended up coming out at 35 minutes because the firemen went on strike, so a lot of programmes were shortened. So I thought, OK, great, well, well, we'll go down the social history route and we'll talk about the winter discontent and we'll talk about uh, the three-day week and all that kind of stuff. And I was trying to justify the inclusion of this, uh, of, of this documentary. Then I thought, actually, no, I just want Mike Bubbins to see it. <laughs> so then I thought, that's all the justification I need. Great, we'll do it. So um, here's a little clip from it. But within Millwall's Terrace Army, there are divisions. At the bottom of the hierarchy are the youngsters. They call themselves the halfway line, and when it comes to aggro, they imitate their elders. But as they grow older, they have a career choice to make. Some of them graduate to treatment, they're the ones in the surgical masks. Although one of Millwall's heavy mobs, treatment don't pick fights, but they're always there when they happen. What do you want? What do you want? you want to say, oh yeah, we're all out of punch up? That's not what football's about, is it? It is these days. Isn't that Why is it? Is. As I said, there have been lots of documentaries made about hooligans. Um, BBC Two did one on in 2002 where there was an entire episode dedicated to Millwall. There was an entire episode dedicated to Cardiff City, actually, and then they did one on ITV, I think it must have been, did one on um, West Ham in 1985. And what I've noticed, watching this Millwall one back, the later ones are far more sinister than this one. And because hooliganism, even though there's there's been a grow-up football matches since, since football began... Yeah. Um, the, the kind of organised violence you got at football in the 70s and 80s, it was still quite nascent and in its, in its infancy, so it hadn't really been glorified in the same way. So if you notice that you know none of the people involved talk about their clothes and all that kind of stuff, so it's before the casual thing and 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 uh, you know tra- the importance of trainers and, and designer labels. I loved it. I mean, who are the who are the the, the really like the um, what are they, the halfway? No, the, ha- the, the halfway line, and then there's the line. and then yeah. there's the treatment, and then the there's treatment. the F troop. So yeah, the who- treatment, incredibly on brand for the current situation we're in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. they're all, they're all it's surgical gowns. Surgical gowns. What, I mean, <laughs> also, it doesn't feel inti- fancy dress does not feel intimidating. But also, if you want to be a football hooligan, yeah. clearly you want to evade the police. Yes, <laughs> you, also, as a mate, you also want to keep your clothes nice. Yes, yes. Let's not overlook that. That bit in American Psycho when he's putting the suit on to bludgeon the bloke to death. Yeah. I was thinking the same sort of thing. Some of the lines they... Oh. Some of the stuff they come out with is so funny. 
Oh, you know, they're, they're on the way. They, they think that everyone who's not from London is, is a, a northern ponce. <laughs> a northern ponce. I won't take it from a northerner. I won't take it from a northerner. I won't take it from Bristol. a northerner. Oh, well, that's Bristol. the way I've been brought up. If Bristol. some dirty fucking northerner spits at me, he'll get a pint glass in his head. <laughs> in his head. In his head. Some dirty fight. They're on the way to watch Bristol Rovers. <laughs> I know. <laughs> some dirty northerner. To work it out slightly south of London. Yeah. <laughs> Who's the main fella there? But the, the young lad, I mean, he, he's the, one of the most unlikely looking tough Billy, guys. He's... Billy Plummer, and then there's uh, Bobby the Wolf and Harry the Dog. Who's the one who looks like the myopic Mark Boland? Who's that fella with the big <laughs> oh, glasses? Oh, well, Mick Harris. Well, yes. the thing with Mick oh. Harris, the thing I found absolutely extraordinary when I watched this back, I mean, it shows how, how things have changed since 1977. So he is one of the oldest guys in the treatment. So he is on a TV programme to talk about how he's a hooligan. And in the later yeah. ones, in the later hooligan shows, they've all got pixelated faces yeah, or yeah. they're just filmed from the sort of, you know, the top lip down because mm. they don't want to get arrested, they want their lives ruined, they want to lose their jobs. So they're all, you know, they're, they're all on screen, you know, full face, so you know exactly who they are. He is talking about fighting at football. And then the next, the next bit is... Um, Mick Harris works as a caretaker at an experimental playgroup. <laughs> what? He works with, and he's surprisingly good with children. Yes. <laughs> yeah. What? Yes. Yeah. But the conversations he's then had with his bosses where the camera crew have come in and they film him in the little kitchen section of the yeah, experimental yeah. playground. It's like, oh, we've got, yeah, I've got a camera crew. What, what's it about? Oh, it's just a panorama. It's, it's uh, just about football <laughs> violence at Millwall. It shows him in this experimental playgroup and they're, they're, they're tiny tots. They're like two or three. Yeah. And he's sat on those tiny little chairs that they have in nurseries. He's like, yeah. so where's the watering can going? <laughs> 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 Next year, yeah, there's about 130 of us went up to Sunderland, and about 50 came back. Yeah, yeah. Do you know what? I, I think the difference of that is, as well as it, it's less sinister because, and this is what which caught, caught me off guard, I found them, well, two things. I found them likable. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I, 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 I can relate to it, which there's is a human element. And because that bloke doing the narration was so condescending and so plummy with that RP yeah, accent, yeah, yeah. I just found myself thinking, I'd rather a night in the pub with them than you any day of the week. I mean, Panorama in the 70s would have been staffed exclusively oh. by upper-middle-class Oxbridge graduates. And the way they talk about working-class football fans from South London <laughs> is it's like they're talking about a different species. Yeah, the like the voiceover yeah. is incredible. Yes. And they yeah. do, Millwall do good work in the community in their own working class cockney way. I know. <laughs> 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 Mick, Mick, when he talks about getting married as being oh. the end of away trips. You were going to get married to Lorraine, weren't you, Mick? <laughs> yeah, I was, but I realised I, I thought I can't do no aways anymore, so I set that off. The young lad lives with his mum. It's quite. You know, his dad buggered <clears throat> off. I think his dad is yeah. beat his mother up, and then the stepdad's yeah. in prison. You think, well, the poor bugger. Right? So he's, he seems like. <laughs> I, I can't imagine with the vanguard of, of, of hooliganism, though. Do you know if that. Like you said, it, it became. Like the, the hooligans that I know, I'll say this for them, they're always well turned out, right? Like you mentioned earlier, right? Like you, and you start off the top there, there wasn't that. So it was just like some. It looks so 70s. 
Just this bloke with a big with a big afro hairdo, yeah. pair of flares on, big ginger like a, fro with some glasses. A, a, a jumper is mum knitted. You you wouldn't wear that now to to a football. The game. other thing is by 1977, because Liverpool were playing away in Europe, they were going to Paris and they were going to Rome and they were bringing that gear back. But because Millwall were in the you know second division, they they were nowhere near Europe and yeah. it was a it's, a it's a very poor area, New Cross and, and Bermondsey. So there wasn't the same. Well, they they certainly weren't wearing the, the the fashions that the Liverpool fans were wearing, you know, two hundred miles north. I tell you what, the bit that that really I really liked, but I, I just thought, my God, I, I just can't imagine that happening now. Is when their manager is basically having a chat on the pitch, yes, with their hooligans, yeah, yeah. saying, "Listen, no, listen, lads, you know, you you want us to buy more players, but we, we got to get crowds in. That no, yeah, we can't yeah. get any away fans in here because you you're all fucking nutters. So then we can't buy the players. So." He's just trying to negotiate with the fans. Yeah. He's trying to not beat so many people up so he can buy some players. Because he makes the point. He was the manager at the time. He's called Gordon Jago. And he makes the point that when Millwall had played Palace, which is mm. down the road, and Charlton, again, which is south-east London, it's down the road, Charlton and Palace hadn't brought any away fans to the den because it was too scary. And they talked yeah. to, yeah, they talked to that um, Blackburn Rovers fan who's been jumped on the way to the den. He's like, oh, can't, you know, I've been all over the place and it's never happened to me before. Do not You're expect like, this at 12.30. Have you not seen, have you not seen the news? They've been <laughs> at it for 100 years. If you don't get round to watching this documentary, I actually wrote out some of my favourite bits of narration. Go on. It's always the same here. Tall stories measured out by the pint. Amplified hard rock. The constant search for excitement and sensation. For anything that will make these lads' lives seem less humdrum. <laughs> oh, my God. The band, fun fact... Well, how good are they? They were good! The band went on to become Iron Maiden. Shut up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So no. that, that band went on to become Iron Maiden. Because they, they're watching a pub rock band in some pub on the old Kent Road or something. Also, there, there's a lot of unintentional comedy in, in this documentary. So at the end of the film, they're talking to the club's liaison, football liaison officer. So she is in charge of the supporters. So Millwall, their away support at the time, would have been a few hundred. So they, they're going to play Bristol Rovers um, at Eastville, uh, I, I think it probably up would have been. Up north, they're going up north to watch Millwall play Bristol. And she's saying, so what we want to do, because to minimise the prospect of trouble, we want them all on the train. So we're not going to do a, you know, we're, we're not going to do a football special, so we're, we're going to put them all on our own train, and then we, know, train. we know who it is, and then we can monitor them, and there'll be police on the train to make sure that everyone behaves. So, so the F troop were the real nutters because it, it's it's different grades. So the the the, the halfway are the, the younger ones. The treatment. Mm. What's he say about the treatment? Yeah, they don't start fights, but they're always there when they happen. And then we got <laughs> the F troop who were the, the nutters. They make a big thing on how the F troop aren't going to go on the official train because they want to be incognito, so they can turn up in Bristol and have a punch up. They want to go in the Bristol end. So there's a big thing done about this. So they they they. They, the bus costs them three quid, which is a pound cheaper than the train. And they're not allowed to drink, but they're all drinking beer and they're all singing songs. And so they're, they're on their way to Bristol. The F Troop are on their own coach because they don't want anyone to, to, uh, to spot them or, or to look after them. And then obviously the coach breaks down because in the 70s, every yeah, car seemed to break down all the time. So good. the F Troop don't get there, apart from Harry the dog, who hitches a lift... <laughs> 
Can you imagine giving a lift to Harry the dog? And then he tries to take the bristle end on his own. That's the best bit. Like they are. He's obviously trying to kick off with with, the, with, with all the home supporters. Yeah. Uh, so the, the the stewards, I assume, or the police, have sort of got him out of there and then just chucked him back in with the Millwall fans. He hasn't been arrested, he hasn't been kicked out. Yeah, that, I mean, Billy Plummer has... He's accrued £300 worth of fines and he's, you know, he's unemployed and he's not going to pay them. And what the thing, you know, football hooliganism is, is over. And he says that on camera. He says, I'm not paying him. I'm paying it. But in, We're going to do put me in jail. You know, in, in my time watching football, I've seen, I haven't seen serious trouble at, at football for years. But one of the things that made a difference was that the incredibly stiff sentencing. So if you throw a punch in a, fo- in a football ground and, it's, and you are done and it's regarded as football-related disorder, you are in big trouble. Harry the dog has tried to take the Bristol end on his own and they just, come on, come yeah. on. Down the other end, son. Come on, Harry. Come on, Harry. Mr the dog, come on. <laughs> there didn't seem to be, obviously they wouldn't put on a camera, there didn't seem to be any drug use going on either. Harry the dog is not gacked up. Harry the dog is just <laughs> one of life's status. <laughs> <laughs> Round two of clips. Uh, let's go Mike first for this one. Well, this is a man who needs no introduction, uh, but, I, but I'm going to do anyway. Um, <laughs> this is just Eddie the Eagle Edwards. Uh, um, th- again, a bit of an underdog theme. What a story. What what? Obviously, they, they made the film recently with Taron Edgerton about him, but um, I love... Eddie Edwards. I lived in Calgary for for a, a little while, um, sort of around the turn of the turn of the millennium, and he's loved over there as well. Like I shared a house in university with with a boy from Calgary as well, who was a steward at, the, at that Olympics. Like a lot of the kids in uh, a lot of the teenagers in Calgary worked at the Olympics, and said that um, he was like an absolute icon. Uh, for that sort of two weeks of his life in Calgary. Into this world of unlikely human flight has come an unlikely hero. Eddie! Eddie! Eddie the Eagle Edwards, a little guy with Coke bottle glasses, out to prove that a construction worker from the English Midlands can fly too. Eddie the Eagle, a true Olympian. What I love about that, and I I saw the film recently, and what I was glad that came across in the film was he wasn't he wasn't a joke he wasn't a joke person right he, yeah. he was he was a kid who had a who had a dream you know was was a, was a dreamer there's lots of things you think are exaggerating the film turns out are not are not that exaggerated at all you know um, and then to do what he did and to not give up and to be there when you're potless and broke and self financing it and, and selling things and just chasing that and sleeping in on floors and doing it because that drives. That's the one thing that you want to do with your life, and then to and then to achieve it. And coming last is irrelevant, right? It's it's all about it's it's all about the journey, right? And if nothing else, like when I, when I was living in Calgary, it was it was summertime, it was rugby season, so there was there was no snow, or there was snow on the mountains, but there was none where the, where Olympic Park is. But I did the Olympic Park tour. And I've stood at the top of that. I, I thought they were joking. When, when, they talk about it in... When, when you do the tour, yeah. you get at the top of the 90-metre jump. Fucking scary, right? You yeah. do the top there, right? And, she, and the, the, girl doing the, the girl doing the guiding for it said, and I thought she was full of shit, but it's true. 
was that he, he entered to do the 70 metre jump. That was what he was going to do, right? Right. Um, the 90 metre jump is, is, the, is the big one. It's the one that literally has killed plenty of people over the years and put people in hospital, right? Right. And then he decides he's going to do the 90 in Calgary, right? He decides when he gets there, after the 70s finish, that he's going to do the 90 metre jump. Right? Yeah. So then the, the organisers say, well, okay. We'll, we'll 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 open up we'll open up the the jump out of hours and you can practice. He went. I don't want to practice in case it scares me too much. Brilliant. So the first time he ever did a ninety meter ski jump. Oh my god! Was in the Olympics, on like with like a billion people watching it on TV. I vividly remember the eighty eight Calgary yes Winter Olympics, mm. and I vividly remember Eddie the Eagle because. A bit like Gaza a couple of years later, he was hugely famous. I hadn't realised he was self-financing for a kickoff. Yeah. I mean, the amount of admiration I have for anyone who self-finances their way to the Olympics. He still is, I think, for anyone over the age of 35, the go-to shit sportsman, though. Yes. And I think oh, yeah. the, 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 the only potential successor or rival he'd have for that would be Eric, Eric the Eel, the yeah. swimmer. Yeah. From Equatorial Guinea, I think he was from in Sydney. Who'd never swim in a pool. Who'd never swim in a pool. The problem I have with him is that in 1988, I first started wearing glasses. Right. <laughs> <laughs> now, yeah. as a, what would I have been, 10-year-old child, mm. my first pair of national health glasses therefore led to... Fly, Stefan, fly. <laughs> exactly. And this has to be said because if if anyone listening at home doesn't realise, he had very very thick glasses, um, ridiculously thick, which like, like and he's 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 at the top of a ninety meter <laughs> um, slope, yes, which has killed people. Yeah, and his glasses used to steam up under yeah. his visor. Yeah, he was doing it fucking blind. Yeah, I think that helps. Apart from the fact you don't know where the end is. Well, yeah, there is the yeah, so it doesn't. Yeah, you go down there seventy miles an hour, and you go fuck it. I mean, <laughs> at the very least, if I was gonna, I mean, I will never, I will never do a ski jump. Christ, I, I can hand on heart, I can promise you that. If I did, I wear specs. I would be wearing contact. I'd be Bullshit. wearing contacts. Hey. If S4C asked you to do a, a PSG <laughs> ski jump special, you'd bite their hand off, you liar. Eddie Edwards knew he was going to come dead last, right? That's best case scenario. Worst case scenario, he's dead. <laughs> best case scenario, he's alive, but he's come dead last on national television, right? Yeah. And he's still putting the hours in. Middle he's case, ri- he's come last and he's severely injured. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And he's still risking his neck for that. Uh, right, my clip for round two is a fan rather than a sports person, but a pretty monumental moment in baseball. This is a guy called Steve Bartman. Um, it's 2003, and if you're not into baseball, this is essentially the semi-finals, if you like. Uh, if the Chicago Cubs win this game, they go into the World Series. Um, and then this bit happens. It's fair game for the fans to catch the ball. If the fan reaches out over the field, 
then it can be ruled fan interference. That is very, very close. So, they're playing against the Marlins. The Cubs are 3-0 up in the actual game. They're three games to two ahead in a seven-match series. They've got five outs that they need to get. And Luis Castillo is a guy batting. And he's hit what's going to be a foul ball. But one of the outfielders for the Cubs has run for it. He's right up against the uh, stand itself. And it's a guy called Moises Alou. And he jumps in the air to catch it. And then Steve Bartman and several other of the Chicago Cubs fans kind of lean towards the ball because... They want to catch a ball. And they haven't seen Moises Alou running from yeah. underneath them to catch it. Bartman gets his hand on the ball, doesn't even catch it, kind of fumbles it, but knocks it out of the chance of it being a catch. Doesn't realise what he's done. So he just kind of sits down in his seat, and then Moises Alou goes a little bit nuts. And then the Marlins score eight runs during that innings. Wow. And basically, that is where the Cubs lose the game, they lose their heads, the whole stadium loses oh. its vibe. And there is no... At Wrigley Field, there's no, is, at the time at least, I don't know if it's still the case. So this is 2003, there's no Jumbotron. So there's no big screen. So he's getting replayed and replayed and replayed on national telly. And he doesn't know this. And oh. the people in the stadium don't know this. Apart from the fact that outside the stadium, there are people who've gathered to celebrate already... And one of them has a TV. So this is being replayed and replayed and replayed. And then all of a sudden a chant of asshole just kind of starts towards this guy. We've all had that. (laughs) We've all been there. (laughs) So he's got the entirety of Wrigley Stadium eventually then shouting asshole at him. Pointing at him. You've got to feel sorry for this dude, Steph. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If people don't understand baseball, right? The, that foul ball, so you, you can't score off that foul ball, because you can still be caught and be out of that foul ball, right? But American sport, they do it all American sports, apart from basketball, right? Um, is if you catch the ball in the stadium, you keep the ball, right? It's yours. It, and it's they're about like, to get to the World Series. So this would be a very valuable oh, ball to well, have. I think, I've, got a, I've got a baseball in my bar, I've got a cricket ball, I've got a, I, I'd love to have a bloody, uh, you know, a, a pennant. Ball, yeah. but of course you won't. That's, and if when you watch it, they're all, they're all watching the ball. No one's no one's watching a Lou thinking I'll, I'll, I'll fucking bang him out the way. No, everyone's watching the ball, right? So all he's doing is trying to catch a ball, the poor bugger, because that's what they do in American sport. If this had happened in certainly in a in a football match in the UK, he'd have had his head kicked in. So so what hap- what happens to him? Guys start going down there and throwing beer at him and the people he's around. Because they start to realise what's happened and they the word starts to get around, there are people listening to the radios, which incidentally he is also doing. Mm. So he's listening to the radio. <sighs> so so he has this shit. dawning realisation, oh, yeah. I've ruined this for my team. So it's not even like it's the opposition team yeah, that yeah. this has happened to. And had he leaned over a little bit further, it would have been fan interference because he would have been in the realm of play rather than within the stand. So the mm. guy would have been given out because he would have interfered with yeah. the play. Oh, my God. But because the ball's come so close to him, he's actually then not fan interference, but you can still make a fair catch. I mean... They have to smuggle him out, Al. They have to, they have to get him out of there safely, and then oh he's getting God. abuse as he leaves, and they have to take him into 
<laughs> this room within the stadium then until everyone else clears away from the stadium. Imagine those Boca Juniors against River Plate. That <laughs> well, you'd be dead. You'd, you'd be dead. You yeah. just wouldn't survive. You wouldn't survive that. About a day later, they track him down to his house. He's oh got eight God. police cars outside his house. That's like he's committed a murder or something. There are eight police cars around his house. He's what, to defend him? Yeah, he's gone into hiding. Because <laughs> it, and he doesn't do any interviews about it. Didn't you get the ball? What a sad case. The other guy gets the ball. So, so, so some other guy force eats down, who's also jumped for it, doesn't get into any trouble at all. He gets the ball, sells it later on for about 200 grand. Oh, my God. Yeah. This gets this worse guy and worse, a poor bugger. Has not been able to have a credit card since then because his name and his address would then be... You're joking. No, 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 no. no. <laughs> he is absolutely vilified for years Last and years scene, and years. fighting Kimbo Slice for... <laughs> <laughs> Double or quits, let's go. That is absolutely astonishing. Until 2016, when the Cubs then eventually win the World Series, mm. and as a franchise and as an organisation, they feel so bad for this guy that they make him a World Series ring. Producer Dave from yes. the Five Live show yes. was a ball boy at Main Road. And when Man City went down as far as League One in 98-99, they won the playoffs, didn't they, in 99 to get back into what is now the championship. Yeah. And in the second leg semi-final, which I think was at Main Road, Dave was a ball boy and there's a minute left. And um, I, don't, I can't remember who Man City were playing, but um, they've got a, you know, the ball is sort of up at Man City's end and the ball goes out for a throw-in. And what Dave did, aged 11, was as the ball boy whose job it is to go and get the ball, he went to fetch the ball and kept pretending to drop it. Just <laughs> trying to run down the clock. Yes. When he eventually gave the ball back, the players swore at him and he got a standing ovation from the kickback stand. Good. So that, Good <laughs> he's lad, 11 mate. years old. Brilliant. When you, when you go to an ice hockey game, like I went to see the Devils play in New Jersey about two years ago. Yeah. There's usually a disclaimer on the back of the ticket there saying, you know, if you get very badly injured, injured you know, yeah. we're not responsible. Because that, that puck does come through. Yeah. Sometimes and hits people in the face. When you see like an ice, an ice cold hockey puck at like 100 miles an hour in your teeth. That it's the one thing that puts me off cricket is. Yeah, yeah. Because cricket is a very social sport. So you, you, you've had a few. Mm. A cricket ball flying at me scares the life out of me. I'm not confident enough to no. catch a, a big six from David Warner or Steve Smith. No. Shut up. It's if, a if, ball. If, What's it going to do? It's made of wood, Mike. It's going to hurt like It's made of wood. Do you know what? In my early teaching career, and I, I, I won't tell you what school it was or what the class was or anything else, right? But um, speaking about dangerous things you wish never happened... <laughs> I was doing my first ever shop put lesson, right? And there was a kid dicking around. And it, it could be dangerous shop put, obviously, so you're trying to get, get to pay attention. I pretended to throw a shop put at him, right? It came out of my hand. Right? <laughs> he fucking ducked. He missed it by about two inches, right? <laughs> and I said to him, because I thought, I saw my career flash around my eyes, and I just went... And that's where I need to pay attention. This could be... <laughs> I know what I'm doing, but if I, you know... I'm thinking, Jesus, I'm just, just trying to bluff it, you know, just trying to blag it out. Now, if I hadn't known that I was going to just clear your head, you could have been dead. Jesus. 
Tell my girlfriend, sorry. I'm at school with her, I live. Wow. I can chuck a shotgun at a 12 year old. Coming back into the staff room, white as a sheet. Oh my God, I was. <laughs> oh man. I think we'll concentrate on 100 metres if we're doing athletics <laughs> in the future. Next week, javelin. Running in a straight line <laughs> on the grass. Uh, right, Al, what's your clip for this round? Laurie Cunningham is a giant in English football. Yes. So he is, uh, I think he was the second black player to win an England cap after um, Viv Anderson. Yeah. First Englishman to play for Real Madrid. Um, every single black player for years afterwards cite him as an enormous influence. So obviously he was in the team there with West Ham with Brendan Batson and Cyril Regis. A, a genuinely tremendous player, especially players from about 10 years later, maybe the, the John Barnes generation, the Luther Blissett generation, just say that when you when you think of the racism that he encountered mm. and players of his generation, the work they did, they were absolute pioneers. So this is from a programme about Laurie Cunningham, a, a documentary where people who were lucky enough to play with him and lucky enough to know him were asked to pay tribute. It was very inspirational. It did make you think, well... As much as all those guys I talk about who are saying things like, oh, we won't be able to make it, we won't get through, they ain't going to give people like us a chance. And then there's Laurie Cunningham playing like people are playing in the, in the schoolyard or when they're playing up the park. I, I can't remember Laurie raising his voice. I can't remember him being abusive on the pitch. Uh, everything was quite quiet about him. But when he had the ball at his feet, that's when you saw... Laurie Cunningham come alive, you know, and it was a, it was a joy to watch. Uh, Laurie was different. I mean, at the time, football was a kind of working class, well, work, well a working class sport. But to have someone doing playing ballet and um, and dancing and into clothes and fashion and all those refineries of life, it, it, it was uh, it was it was certainly different. The first time I ever seen big garlic king prawns in the shells was Laurie ordered in the restaurant, and I thought, what's that? And he, he had these king prawns, and, I, and I, I remember saying to him, oh, that looks great, can I try one? And he, pe he peeled it for me, because I, I couldn't. Peeled it for me and gave me one of his garlic king prawns. He was a great <laughs> I'll, I'll let you talk, <laughs> Alan, but can, can, I, can I just say thank you, right? <laughs> it's genuinely <laughs> the funniest thing I've seen this year. LAUGHTER <laughs> 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 The thought process. <laughs> in, in, it wouldn't be so bad if it was in isolation. Like, when it's, it's like three super poignant recollections first. <laughs> it's the fact that Peter Reed has it. I. I don't think there's an actor on earth good enough to play that wide-eyed innocence. The the took the shell off sheer it. Sheer wonder he has when he's describing the size of his prawn. <laughs> <laughs> you want to you want to say to Peter Reed, of all the things, is that your number one anecdote about Laurie? <laughs> 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 my Oh, the Christ. racist chanting, so the bananas funny. he got chucked at him, the <laughs> horrific abuse he got at every football ground he played at. The fact that he was amazing. He was he was a superb footballer and he was a complete Just, trailblazer. Yeah. And clearly for Peter Reid, he was a trailblazer amazing. in culinary terms as well because <laughs> Peter Reid had never gone 
I've tried garlic prawns before. Oh my god! I, when I watch this clip, I, I'm, I've probably watched it twenty times. I've seen it twenty times today, mate. I just could <laughs> not believe. Also, in again, in Peter Reed's defence, he has been royally been... stitched up oh, by the editor. Has he ever? He has been sucked up semi-chronic. Because I don't know what the 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 editor what? must be a Liverpool fan. What's the thought process, though? Because also in in that way that you know it's, it's a very it's a very common thing that's been for a long time now. But documentary editors tell you how to feel with the music, the beds they have. Yes. So when. Ian Wright is talking about home. Oh, it's like watching a magic trick and having it explained to me. Go on, eh? <laughs> <laughs> the, the music. Go on, Pen, to, tell us. To, Kelly, get in here. Alice is deconstructing documentaries for us. <laughs> but the music is, is, you know, is building up. And you're thinking, I'm going to cry, I'm going to cry. And then Peter E's like, but the size of these prawns. <laughs> <laughs> the music, what? if you notice, stops. Thing about Jesse Owens, Jesse Owens came around my house once and he routed me bathroom. Yeah. Oh, I'll never forget about Je- Jesse Owens. Like he's enough a watch. He used to check the time on his phone. <laughs> like I say, Jesse, why don't you buy a watch? You, like it's, I just don't like the way he feels on my wrist, so I gotta just check my phone. Or... Four clips about Nazis before that. <laughs> Hitler walking out of the stadium. Until today. My favourite comedy edit of all time was in that episode of Alan Partridge where Alan is, uh, takes Jill on a date and he says, Jill, do you like owls? You could go shopping. Ah! <laughs> that, 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 until today, was the funniest edit I'd ever seen. <laughs> that has now been usurped <laughs> by the Peter Reed, Carly Braun. Yeah, and the fact that Laurie... God rest is, is no longer with us, yeah. and, it, and his brother's talking about him, and his brother's yeah, yeah. almost in tears. Obviously, right? Yeah, yeah. You know, he wasn't. Just, he wasn't. I'm, I'm biased, but he was the greatest footballer. He was like, oh Jesus, I'm, I'm filling up here. Yeah, right. Then, we went out to this restaurant, right? Reedy Reed, drops the prawn bomb on him. <laughs> I'll never forget it. Oh, it's the yeah. This way of peeling prawns. It's the what? I mean, I I can peel I can peel those prawns. Yeah, you peeled no me, you before me. It's um, it's like something out of a fast show. He's amazing. an amazing. I I really like Peter Reed actually. Oscar Schindler, mate. Yeah. You know, for me, I remember the time he came around the house and he had, he had a tiramisu. I never heard of tiramisu. But Schindler, like he do his laces like the big loops, like little kids, like primary school kids. Like he don't, he didn't do his laces like an adult, like a grown up. That's what I'll always remember about Oscar Schindler. <laughs> oh my god! Oh fuck me! Guns used to use Ronald on his children. I've never seen nobody. <laughs> that Carol song. He used to come round my house on his Zimmer frame. That's just amazing, man. Like, he was out of his jeans flat. No crease in it. Oh. Yeah, you raise a few quid on that, but his jeans. I've got to tell you about his jeans. <laughs> oh, my God. That fucking mother Theresa, mate. I mean... She didn't have a debit card. <laughs> it's just cash. She, when she went to the brothel, she did loads of work abroad and travellers' checks. All cash. 
<laughs> so at the start of the Odyssey, if you mugged her then, she'd have loads of money. Because she, she couldn't take none out from like in a hole in the wall, ACM or nothing. And that's what I was remember about Mother Teresa. <laughs> I always remember that from Mother Teresa. <laughs> so like, you know the slit in the in a like wallet where you'd keep debit cards? It was just train tickets, just old train tickets. <laughs> couldn't make it up. That's because I'm a suit there. <laughs> I'm not having it on, no. Uh, right. <laughs> Let's go to books now. Uh, Mike, you're first. Right, my first book. Uh, obviously, Mike likes American things. I've gone for a book called uh, Snake by Ken Stabler. Um, Ken Stabler was the um, Oakland Raiders quarterback in the 1970s. Uh, his nickname was uh, Snake. Um, just a really funny, fairly, I suppose, politically incorrect book these days, but about playing uh, football in the NFL in the 70s and his life story, which is fairly staggering. Um, tough as old boots. There's, there's a bit, I've just going to pick one very short bit. There's a fellow called John Matusak, who was a Beast of a man. He was six foot eight, two hundred eighty pounds, um, and he came to the Raiders, and they basically gave because he, he was almost uncoachable. So they they let Kenny Stabler uh, be his roommate essentially. Although I'm obsessive about keeping my cars uh, and living quarters organised, everything neat and polished, I told John Matusak he's welcome to join me at my condominium. Hey Snake, that's damn nice of you," he said. "But I'll have to see the place before I decide." Uh, the moment John looked through the sliding glass doors, he spied my hot tub and cried, God damn it, Snake, this is me. He got right on the telephone, and before we'd even unpacked, the twos, myself and three airline stewardesses were cavorting naked in the hot tub. John began throwing one girl up into the air and catching her in the water. He grabbed a second girl who couldn't have been more than £100, soaking wet, and threw her as well. Uh, she must have sailed about eight feet. The twos gave an appreciative roar, and the girl let out a piercing scream. An upper floor window came up, and a woman yelled out, A little quiet, please. John hollered, Quiet this, you! And I reached out and clamped my hand over his mouth. Twos, we don't, want any, we don't want to get thrown out of here on the first day, please. I said, You know, we can have some fun without rolling the neighbours. He floated on his back and waved his dick in the upper window, shouting, <laughs> Quiet this, neighbour. Right, so, anyway. That's just uh, Ken Stephen looking after John Matusak. But, I mean, the whole, so the whole book is... If you don't know anything about the Raiders in the 70s, they were just hard-drinking, hard-partying, rule-breaking rabble. Obviously, we put reviews on the back. Um, the Buffalo News describes it as spicy. <laughs> so there we go. So uh, no higher accolade. <clears throat> Snake by Kenny Stabler. Slight gear change from me. My book of the week is uh, Soconomics. Um, which is about how data is misused in football. It's a really great read. Um, I actually cannot recommend this book highly enough. It's by Simon Cooper and Stefan Szymanski. Now, Simon Cooper I'm a huge fan of. I think, Steph, you've read some of his books as yeah, well. Yeah, I have, yeah, yeah. Um, he's a brilliant writer. He writes at the, the Financial Times. But um, I don't know if you've read Freakonomics. Yes. Uh, um, it is the Freakonomics but about football. Yeah. And what I found amazing about it is that pretty much, you know, I've I've taken a huge interest in football for 30 years and so many times it dispels myths that I thought were just cast iron truths, but with data and facts. And football as a sport is quite slow to get behind this stuff. Um, and it's a very good example where they're talking about uh, Roberto Mancini was Man City manager. 
And they realised that Man City hadn't almost barely ever scored goals from corners. They were like, this doesn't make any sense. So they got their, their boffins, their number crunchers, to look at every goal scored from a corner in the top five European leagues over the last five years. Every goal scored from a corner. Right. So it crunched the numbers and it was, you know, it was overwhelming. The evidence suggested that if you, if you, uh, that most goals from corners are scored from in swingers rather than out swingers. So they were really excited because the numbers, it was, you know, overwhelming that the, the, the evidence they had, right? So they, they go to Roberto Mancini and they say, you've got to start using in swingers as corners and not out swingers. And he went, no. I said, yeah, 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 look, we've got all the numbers. And he said, he said, listen, I, you know, I've played football at the highest level for 20 years. I know for a fact that most goals are scored from outswingers and not inswingers. And he said, no, but look at the numbers. We've looked at the numbers. He went, I don't care about the, your numbers. I played for Italy. I played in Serie A. They were like, no, 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 no. We've looked at the numbers. He went, listen, you cannot convince me. Most goals are scored from outswingers. And they realised that most goals scored from in-swingers are very scruffy goals. It's ricochets, the goalkeeper's dropped it, fumbles, etc. Goals scored from out-swingers tend to be beautiful goals that stick in the memory. So we had just forgotten all of the goals from (laughs) (laughs) in-swingers. It's because you just tend not to remember them. So it's just lots of stuff about that and about how important managers actually are and why clubs get transfers wrong and stuff. Right, I'm going for a vain attempt to try and bring back some of our Pacific Island audience after the start of the show. Um, this is called Up Pompeii. Uh, it's by a guy called Paul Watson, whose brother you guys probably know, Mark Watson, the comedian. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So Paul uh, and his mate Matt decided they wanted to be international football coaches. It's one of the islands that make up the states of Micronesia. And they're not recognised by FIFA which is a hurdle, and they can't develop an entire Micronesian national team because the four islands that make it up are so disparate and far apart that they can't afford to fly between them and actually make a team. But eventually they're kind of... It's kind of along the lines of next goal wins from last week. It sort of follows that narrative. They eventually go to Guam and play a game, and it's, it's about Paul's sort of journey of discovery, about him getting sunburned, and boils and whatever else he gets while he's out there and trying to fund a national football team from scratch. A couple of things before we wrap it up. If you want your free beers, they are still available. So the beer52 slash distant is the code that you need for that. We had this in from a guy called Paul Mellon, who (laughs) has, has decided the stylophone is not tainted. Well done for... Going for that, Paul. Um, you're, you're airing on the side of Bowie rather than his other... Uh, <laughs> his low period. Yeah, yeah, yeah. His yeah. Berlin period. <laughs> so this is the rugby special theme, which is a thing of beauty, I would wonderful, say. Wonderful, wonderful. Yeah, Don't hate the game, hate the player. <laughs> <laughs> and for those of you guessing the secret guitarist, we've had another Brian May guess in... From uh, TDF Ent 86, loving your handle, very good. Uh, Andy Fairweatherlow from the Wandering Welshman, and James Dean Bradfield from Rye Dave and uh, Dill Mabs V. Those are all in. Uh, that is us. 
We will be around for another one of these this time next week. Uh, thank you, gentlemen, for your company. Thank you. See you next week.